feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved. Marchin. Eric Marchin. Do you expect me to talk, Rohrbeck? <laughs> yeah, just do that accent the entire review. Eric, how you doing? I'm uh, I'm I'm a little shaken, uh, not stirred. Um, <laughs> you know. I hope there's as many puns in this review as there are throughout the Bond franchise in this movie. Oh, uh, there, it, it's going to be very tongue in cheek in terms of uh, you know getting as many little uh, sort of references and jokes in as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where my bad dad humor uh, comes into you know play, what? even though I'm not a dad. So I love it. I love here. it. Uh, yes, today we are reviewing Carrie Fukunaga's No Time to Die. The now, final... is it Carrie Fukunaga or should we go by Carrie Joji, Joji Fukunaga? Fukunaga? Because that's Which how, is he's how he's credited his full name. Most people but just he... say Carrie Fukunaga. Yes, and he goes usually by Carrie <laughs> Fukunaga in the past. You know, the director of Sinombre, uh, the first season of True Detectives, Jane Eyre, uh, Beasts of No Nation, which I actually talked about uh on a, a recent episode of our regular show you did uh, um, who is now basically taken over the reins from sam mendez mm-hmm. um it is daniel craig's final installment uh of his version of james bond but it also stars rami malik Lea sedu lashanya uh, lynch ben wyshaw naomi harris jeffrey wright uh ray fines and others um it comes out on october the 8th which is next friday so this is an advanced review to preface everything hashtag no time for spoilers is what they've told us we will not be spoiling uh any major plot points of no time to die this will be a spoiler free review but eric and i did rewatch all of daniel craig's bonds uh, leading into No Time to Die. So we're going to kind of use this review to talk about Daniel Craig's time as Bond as a whole. Uh, basically all five films in uh, the franchise of his version of Bond uh, leading into No Time to Die. And then we will talk about, uh, you know, the, what our thoughts are. I do have to spoil movie. one thing, though. Han Solo dies at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we won't spoil anything, we promise. Uh, the only stuff that is uh, free game for us, I think, um, is the stuff that's in the trailer. So if you're trying to go in completely dark, I don't know why you would listen to this before uh, anyway. Uh, but we won't you know, reveal any major plot points or anything like that. Uh, that being said, Eric, let's get into it. So um, you did the same thing I did. So leading into uh, No Time to Die, you got your Daniel Craig 4K box set out. I got my Daniel Craig 4K collection on iTunes out. Um, and we both, not really out, it's on my Apple TV. Uh, and we both kind of binged the four movies leading into No Time to Die. I was watching them with my fiance Nevis. Um, and you watched them alone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that doesn't mean anything. I just wanted to. Wow. I thought wow. Okay, man. I thought it was funny. I know we know um, where where you stand on 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 being single. <laughs> so I just want to talk about you know um, how was that rewatch uh, for Alone? you leading into <laughs> with having no one to talk about it until this conversation. Um, uh, it was sad, uh, depressing. You drank um, martinis by yourself. And, oh, I didn't even drink them out of a a, a fancy glass. I just just a bottle of vodka. Just yeah. Um, um, you know what? Overall, and your history of Bond, I guess too, because yeah. I'd, lo- I'd like to talk about that because I do kind of have a history too. Yeah, it, Bond is one of those characters where I think for a lot of uh, young males um, growing up, it, it's something that if you know you have a father or father figure in your life, 
um, that loves it, you kind of inherit it a little bit. And that was kind of how I came into loving the Bond franchise, specifically the Connery Bonds and also the Timothy Dalton uh, double feature of uh, The Living Daylights and License to Kill. Um, Roger Moore has always been the one where like there's a couple of his movies that are really good, but he was never my favorite Bond because I found him to be a little bit too comedic or a little too slapstick. But I also realized that like, you know, there is a whole generation that grew up with him. And, and for us, we you know, came of age during, you know, Brosnan's tenure mm-hmm. as, as, as Bond. And in all honesty, I think those are some of the worst Bond movies, but the Broccoli family wanted him before Timothy Dalton, but um, he was doing Remington Steel and was uh, obligated to to complete that show while they were doing those Bond movies in the eighties after Roger <laughs> Moore. So in terms of just like looking at like, you know, coming from that point of view, I had seen, all I've now seen all 25 Bond movies, 26 if you want to include uh, Never Say Never, uh, which is not canonical to the actual series, but still kind of is a riff on uh, the Bond films and bringing Sean Connery back again in the early 80s. Um, when Daniel Craig was first announced as Bond, um, I think if people had seen Layer Cake and Munich, um, there was kind of a bit of a reassurance there and thinking, okay, you know, like he seems right for the role. But if, you know, you had a father or father figure, and this is coming from personal experience, the first thing that, that, you know, their reaction was is Bond can't be blonde. And also that first kind of press uh, tour or announcement they had when he, you know, uh, walked off of this boat in Venice with a life jacket on. Bond doesn't wear a life jacket. Come on, and then <laughs> so stupid. I know, I know, but but that's yeah, but that's I know, how I, people, I get it. Like, but that's how people react to certain yeah. things, especially when they see sort of this archetype. A character as precious as this, that as people, you know, yeah. Ian Fleming created because he was basically living vicariously through, you know, his own fantasies and writing, yeah. you know, in the Bahamas and and what have you. Um, but then Casino Royale comes out and kind of, you know, that first action sequence where, you know, I think it really defines Daniel Craig's bond when you see him run through that wall when he's chasing the guy who's doing parkour. And the it's parkour like, sequence, this yeah. is a blunt force instrument of yeah. a bond. And he's not going to be your daddy's bond. He's going to be somewhere on the spectrum of Connery and Dalton, where he has the kind of tongue in cheek humor and sensibilities of being playful, but he also has this lethal edge to him. Um, But I, what, but what I think ultimately, you know, with Daniel Craig's era, you know, five films over 15 years, um, what makes him surpass his predecessors is that over those five films, there's been actual character development and continuity and been, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of opportunity to have him evolve as, as a person where with each bond entry in the Connery and more entries specifically a little bit in the Brosnan and a little bit with, with Dalton, it's always been restarting, not rebooting, just kind of like going back each from the movie, beginning yeah. and doing the same thing over and over again, you know, just, don't change what's not broken. And because of that bond has always been kind of 
boyish uh in his behavior and he's never been able to mentally sort of grow mature, up and yeah. mature and with this you see you know and having watched these films and i'm sure you agree over the course of those five films and 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 watching them over the course of you know a weekend leading into a new week you see this radical transformation of a guy becoming more less dapper and more dour and more sort of sort of sophisticated in his approach to uh spycraft yeah no i totally agree and i think that's like a, a perfect way to lead into this movie and we'll talk about all the craig movies but like i think that's what i came away i, I mean i'll just start off by saying i love this movie and i'll get into that um but i feel like you're you nailed it eric where i feel like this bond specifically daniel craig's bond and these five movies and um you know i think the franchise has evolved with movies and how movies are made and even how big blockbuster movies are made and i feel like they they noticed okay we need to have that character development we need to have a continuity and we need to kind of have something to keep people coming back and we need this character to mature with the world around him and i think it's so interesting starting off as that blunt force instrument always making kind of brash mistakes and using just his his gut instead of his you know his brain and um and just kind of going in full force without thinking things through always ultimately succeeding but maybe not in the best way possible and i think it's been interesting watching him over these five movies and you really notice it watching them back to back to back to back of how both that character has evolved how the franchise has evolved and how he slowly morphed from you know it was supposed to be this gritty reboot of bond right like he was this different bond he was blonde and he would yeah run through walls and he'd be you know make mistakes and he'd, he'd get he's shot he's willing and, like, to get dirty yeah he'd get dirt. shot and beaten up which is like something like i think only one other bond movie he's been shot in right like before he got shot in um i think casino royale uh or quantum i forget which one um that he actually gets shot in. Um, I think it's, yeah, either way. Um, and then as you get into No Time to Die, and I tweeted this last night that I feel like, you know, this movie, I think, perfectly encapsulates Bond, both Daniel Craig's version of it and just the franchise as a whole. Because I think they started with this gritty reboot. And as the movies went along, they kind of went more traditional Bond and some of those kind of elements you saw in basically the twenty four movies before this it's 20 this is the 25th right yeah um and like not including you, never yeah uh, sure that's where never. it gets confusing um and i just feel like this movie it's the most bond daniel craig's bond has been but it is still that kind of gritty bleak kind of blunt force instrument uh, bond but mixed with kind of this, a lot of those classic elements and and whether it's his womanizing which you saw s steadily kind of get better throughout the franchise where it's like rewatching those movies there's some stuff where you're like i don't know but that's if, all like, part of the franchise right i get where, like, i get like, that but of, that's what i mean that's different here i just want to quickly mention this because i think it's important to mm -hmm. is you know the casino royale and daniel craig's bond there's there's a legacy it's a legacy character so you're playing by the rules of how these movies have been sort of formulated throughout the decades right so you know the 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 things that are somewhat maybe more problematic in today's point of view is how you know the first woman that bond always sleeps with the first quote-unquote bond girl or should be bond woman dies usually mm -hmm. and also the other thing is the antagonist is usually has a has, has a physical uh scar or yeah. 
it has some sort of um visually is visually impaired or something like that like that's mm-hmm. the other thing where like and this also goes back to alfred hitchcock who like before bond was going to direct a bond movie and you know decided to direct north by northwest instead and in even something like the 39 steps there are a lot of elements that you can tell that you know whether ian fleming was writing bond at that point or not are there and so they're still kind of trying to fit into that mold but to your point as the series has gone on it's tried to break out of it a little mm-hmm. bit and that's what i mean by the series maturing with the times as well and i feel like the character should and and does change and i feel like what bond is can change and i feel like some of those more problematic elements they can kind of tweak and turn them on their head and and make them you know, still have be true to the character, but have that character mature and have character development and and go, OK, maybe, you know, he can still be sort of a womanizer, but don't treat women like shit. And, and have and that being a plot point throughout these flat five movies and, you know, that came to a head in Inspector and, and it wasn't super great inspector with you know christoph waltz's blofeld just being like i'm the author i'm the puppet master of everything i've all those i'm women the author dead, of like, your pain <laughs> like, you know why all those women are dead it was me and you're like what this doesn't I make have any two sense. oscars <laughs> yeah and um so i've just i've loved to see this character evolve but then the franchise also go back to its roots and and what i love about no time to die um is that it has all those classic Bond elements, but they feel modernized. Like it feels like when you said we were going to make a gritty modern reboot of James Bond and Casino Royale, and then you go, okay, the more now you know this Bond, we can start to introduce some of that more tech stuff and some of the gadgets and the ridiculous Russian missile silos. And like, like we haven't really gotten that until this Bond, and, and it is Craig's last Bond. But I really feel like with it being the last Bond, Craig probably being the last bond in this franchise and Craig probably being the best bond. Like, I feel like it takes everything that I love about James Bond in the, in this franchise and throws it into this movie. And even though it is grim and the story is very bleak and it has some very violent moments. And I think that stays true to this version of bond. I still had a blast with the movie and, and I've just, yeah, I, I growing up with bond, like Pierce Brosnan was my bond, right? Like, and I, my dad watched a lot of the older bond movies, my uncle Mark and stuff like that. And I would see them who on directed quantum of solace. Um, and my uncle's name is mark forrester spelt differently (laughs) but um and he is he works in you know he's a cinematographer which is funny too but and he's the guy who got me into movies my uncle mark and um and just movie making and things like that um that being said like i saw them watch the older bonds uh but my james bond was pierce brosnan and that was because golden eye 64 and like which is the best bond movie really i mean there should be 27 bond yeah any Anyone who listens to our show knows that I'm a huge video game guy and the Nintendo 64 was at that perfect time in our lives where like that was I love the Super Nintendo, but the Nintendo 64, I just it was the first thing I played so many hours of GoldenEye, which then made me love GoldenEye the movie, which then made me obsessed with every Pierce Brosnan. You know, they're terrible, but like it made me as a kid really love James Bond. And I remember making my parents buy me a martini glass at like, a, a you know, some store and I would put ginger ale in the martini glass with a grape and I would like drink you know martinis like james bond and like um and boris and i am invincible and like i just loved i loved everything about goldeneye and like the uh, like you know the double oh um is he double oh nine sean bean's character 
Uh, uh, I thought he was six. Yeah. Six. And he betrayed, like, I just loved everything about that movie. So anyways, the Brazen movies. And then it was always something my dad and I would watch together. And then, um, uh, those movies just get more and more terrible and ridiculous and the invisible car and Christmas comes early and like all these yeah. like horrible things. Um, well, I mean, they were always, they were always punny in that yeah. way as well. Well, like that's uh, like the other two I mean, things that are problematic. Like too. you have, well, this is less problematic. And I think uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge uh, is, yeah. is partly responsible for maybe sort of um, tailoring the writing a little bit more to make it sort of a, a um finessed in sort of being um uh, more sex positive um where you look at my favorite bond movie um is goldfinger and in that film you have a character named pussy galore and she is sexually assaulted by sean connery's bond and then in uh you only live twice which is a one of two of the kind of big reference points for this movie because of the uh, the uh, silo, the missile uh, silo that you mentioned uh, is very similar in sort of look to the um, volcano yeah. uh, uh, silo Lair. that Donald uh, Pleasance's Blofeld uses. <laughs> but in that, you have um, Sean Connery go undercover in this small Japanese village as a Japanese villager. Right, and right. That's also very problematic. And it was made fun of in... Um, uh, Team America World Police in right. in one scene specifically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but those are also moments where you look back and it's like, okay, you have to, like, you don't want to erase them from history. You have to accept them for what they are, but you can self-improve. And this film feels like the biggest self-improvement of all of the Bonds, partly because it is the most current one, but also it does look at the legacy of this character and even the legacy of the entire franchise Mm -hmm. Um, because there are clear Easter eggs to, you know, um, Judy Dench's M, but Bernard Lee's M as well. And there are references to, you know, the other film that it is referencing quite a bit um, that I don't want to talk too much about, but I think we have to at least mention it um, is on her Majesty's secret service, which is a film that a lot of um, filmmakers specifically from Quentin Tarantino to Christopher Nolan have cited as being their favorite Bond movie. It's the one Bond movie that doesn't have Sean Connery. That is the, the, the one with George Lazenby that was kind of like, you know, Connery didn't want to make Bond at that point and wanted more money to do it. And he walked, put Lazenby in there. Everything around Lazenby is amazing. And Lazenby uh, himself. <laughs> and Lazenby is is the is the one thing where it's like you just wish you could go back in time and convince and Sean Connery, Connery in there, yeah. to be in there. Because Connery comes back for Diamonds Are Forever, <laughs> and that does have a continuity where in the first five, ten minutes, the uh, end results of... Is a direct uh, on, continuation, right? Which is very similar to Casino Royale going into Quantum of Quantum, Solace. Yeah. So then let's go into that before... I know people are probably, we're 20 minutes in there, like, get to the fucking movie. I want to hear what you think about No Time to Die. But I think I there was a lot lot of ground yeah i think i already said i loved it but like quickly we'll go we don't need to go over every single craig bond movie because i don't think that that's a a good use of our time but i just want to hear eric about our rewatches and and for me 
Um, I think my opinion on most of the movies uh, didn't change that much. I think my biggest surprise personally, and I know this is where we disagree, was in Quantum of Solace, where Casino Royale I liked a little bit less than I remember liking, um, just because I feel like it went on. It, it's only two hours and like 25 minutes, but that last 30, 40 minutes in Venice and that kind of wrap up after the, you know, the sequel, the with Vesper. game and things like that with Vesper. Like I love the Vesper and, and Bond relationship, but all that stuff in Venice, I feel like drags on a little bit too long and it feels like the movie ended two or three times uh, before that. Um, still think it's a magnificent movie. Like Mads Mikkelsen is, is phenomenal. The poker game, I think is one of the most thrilling things and it's just guys sitting at a table and I love how they break it up with action sequences and him being poisoned and him going. And I just think it was, I remember loving that movie as a bond reboot. I had a poster up in my room. I was obsessed with casino Royale. Uh, yeah. Martin Campbell think, uh, knows how to, I mean, Goldeneye, he's the yeah, rebooter of, of the, of the franchises. Bond, and, yeah. and that was, the joke that it was like okay maybe he'll come back for every new bond to kind of yeah. set things up right um and i so yeah and i think you kind of feel the same way about casino right yeah i i really do like casino royale quite a bit but it i remember the first time seeing it in theaters 15 years ago yeah wow. and and seeing it multiple times and i can't fathom having seen it that many times in such a short succession because to your point looking back at it now it does drag quite a bit in that last act even though i think uh eva green as vesper is amazing and i really mm -hmm. love that character and she really does have this presence that lingers throughout the the rest Whole of series, the, the yeah. series you know and really affecting bond and that also never happened with you know the bond women where there was a character other than diana rigg in on her majesty's secret service but that was again at the time was considered just more of a one-off than anything else yeah um has had this uh, effect and I'm not the biggest fan of the Chris Cornell um, song. Oh yeah. We can go uh, through each song too, but I, I, I kind of feel that but... like, again, like all the bond movies, they usually go for, you know, what is the most popular artist of the moment or somebody that they've always wanted to get. And there are worse songs, but there's just something about it that like, as much as I like Soundgarden and I do like Chris Cornell, I like Chris Cornell more when he's used in like his, his music is used in Michael Mann movies than in, uh, in bond. Uh, and yeah. bond. It's just, it's a little bit jarring, but then again, like I, I really love weirdly, you know, Duran Duran's a view to a kill or aha, the living, uh, oh, the yeah. living daylight. I love which, that. Again, aha did so, so 80s yeah. songs and and like and that's what i think each i love that each era of bond it, like is that era of bond right yes. and i think that's like what cornell and then the jack white alicia Keys song which we'll talk about in quantum of feel like you mentioned it yesterday feel like the 2000s right like yeah. the late the late 2000s and i feel like that that actually adds a charm to it for me even if i don't love either of those songs um, I still, uh, am kind of okay with it because of that. And then going into quantum, I think it, it does it a disservice if you don't watch it immediately after Casino Royale. And I feel like that's why originally when it came out years later, it felt incredibly underwhelming and mind you, it's still not like a, a, an amazing movie, but I feel like I enjoyed it a lot more watching it back to back with Casino Royale. And I felt like it was at an hour and 40 minutes, like very lean and filled with action because the writer's strike was happening. So they're like, oh, let's just throw a shit ton of action in here because that's we don't really have to write that. We can just kind of go, oh, shit will blow up. There's a helicopter chase. There's a car chase, blah, 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 blah. Um, 
I think it has the weakest villain of the franchise. Uh, Matthew Almarax, uh, uh, Dominic Green is just kind of boring, but like, I just, I felt it was like a nice epilogue to Casino Royale. And that's why I kind of enjoyed it this time. I don't think it's a great bond movie. It's kind of generic and like not much happens except there's some kind of cool action sequences. Um, but it just feels like a okay action movie or a good action movie. Maybe not necessarily a great bond movie. That's my thoughts on quantum. I know you're not a huge fan. Yeah. I mean, like even though you're, you're more positive, everything that you kind of said, I, I feel like that with a more critical um, yeah. perspective on it where like, yeah, the first five, 10 minutes of the film, as, as you mentioned, like an extended epilogue of casino Royale, I think is fun. And I really, again, another guy that doesn't get enough credit in these movies is Jesper Christensen as Mr. Mr. White, White, who, you know, is another villain again, who kind of, slithers through the grass through this entire series and and really kind of makes this indelible impression um on you and and he's just a really great character actor too um yeah i I just kind of feel like like even having watched it recently it's kind of almost evaporated from my mind i agree with that (laughs) and it is mercifully the short one of the shorter bond movies but part of that is due to the writer's strike and i wonder that if that didn't affect it maybe it would have been you know two hours plus because that's the other thing with you know going with the times these movies do get longer they're as long as any superhero modern film blockbusters today right. it feels like although um, there are there are you know we'll be talking about venom let there be carnage which is a you know a 90 cool minutes baby. 90 <laughs> minutes so which is weirdly exciting to me yeah. even though i'm not necessarily looking forward to the film um so you know you have to look at that and then again like in terms of taking its temperature you know this franchise has always been kind of interesting where it's like okay you know you look at uh live and let die and you look at moonraker and live and let die is made in the 70s at the time at the height of black exploitation cinema so basically that movie is turned into a black exploitation film with the exception of a white lead and mm-hmm. then in moonraker it's like okay well what's popular in the late 1970s space race baby <laughs> space race star wars 2001 yeah. And the the big selling point is that it's Bond in space, yeah, but it's yeah. only the last ten minutes of the movie, yeah. and the film is such a chore to get through to get to those ten minutes because everyone's where, just waiting for space, and yeah, yeah. Where these movies, other than the music and maybe just some of the the modern sort of you know cinematography and editing, they don't feel as dated. Like I think you you you'll be able to watch these movies, and again, maybe with some of the tech. Um, be able to find a timeless quality in them um, or a novelty or a charm. Because like you, again, you go back to some of like the early Connery ones and you look at some of the gadgets and yeah, some of them are really dated um, especially with like, you know, the, the old headphones and radio sets and things like that, but they are very funny. And then also you think of like how accurate Austin Powers actually was to like the tube of toothpaste with, you know, uh, acid in it or Austin Powers doesn't get enough respect. Okay. No, it, it doesn't. It does. They're fun movies. They're fun movies and how, again, culturally and specifically accurate they are to what Bond was. And mm-hmm. and uh, I would love a, a, a new Austin Powers. Don't bring Mike Myers back, like recast him like a new Bond and then kind of s- satirize like the Craig Bond movies or modern Bond movies. I think that could be fun or it would be awful. Probably right. awful, but probably bad. But <laughs> but 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 I'd again, be open to it. Yeah, and and so Quantum of Solace is just one of those movies where it's just kind of like it of for me of his of those five films, it's filler. 
Oh, absolutely. And I don't disagree there. And then you get into Skyfall. So we're going on that kind of we're seeing a trend now. Um, and Skyfall is just an absolute banger from start to finish. Um, I think I remember just being absolutely blown away when we watched that movie in IMAX. And um, I think Javier Bardem's um, villain, um, uh, Silva, is, is awesome. Like, I love how unsettling and weird he is. I love that he doesn't show up until an hour and 20 minutes into the movie. Um, I love that uh, the M and Judy Dench's final movie as M uh, plays such a, a huge role in the movie uh, Bond's history um, as and where he grew up and where he came from and uh, you know and Roger Deakins cinematography just absolutely punches me in the face every time I, I see that movie and watching it in 4K Dolby Vision for the first time um, was just an absolute treat and then you're starting to see in this movie i feel like because this is when they introduce q and they introduce um money fines and money penny and then like they modernize all those characters i think in in a really interesting way and you're starting to see some of those classic james bond elements come back and um you know i think after quantum and fumbling a little bit they're like okay we need to find a sweet like middle ground of like this gritty you know, um, modern, like realistic bond and kind of some of the more classic elements. And I think they did such an excellent job in Skyfall. And um, I think it's like a, a near perfect bond movie. I love that movie. Yes. Uh, as you become Blofeld right now with yeah, your, with your cat, Mr. Yeah. Bigglesworth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, and I think what I like about Skyfall as well, there, there, there are two things that I, I think um, sort of quote unquote elevate it um, to, you know, one of the best of, of the whole franchise is that they're bringing in filmmakers now who aren't simply I, Martin Campbell wasn't, but you look at a lot of the people that made um, the bond movies as directors. A lot of them started out as editors or assistant uh, uh, DPs on the bond movies. So you have the guy Hamilton's and, you know, uh, the John Glenn's and, and, you know, people like that. And, now you're bringing in someone like Sam Mendes, who already has this, you know, established theater background, won an Oscar for American Beauty, has made movies like Road to Perdition. And then on top of that, I like that the script and the story isn't necessarily about world domination. It's more personal and yeah. focused as if it were kind of a revenge story from the point of view of Javier Bardem's character infiltrating the MI6, yeah. which I think is more interesting than just simply having, you know, we talk about this with Marvel movies. I think when you make the villain more sympathetic and human mm -hmm. and not necessarily trying to conquer the world or the universe, um, it's just more interesting and more. Compelling. And I think that's a trend you saw in basically all, the first three, you know, uh, Craig Bond movies, even I guess even leading into Spectre, which we'll get into in a sec. They all felt more personal Bond stories rather than like I know Mads Mikkelsen's character was still dealing with like in big terrorists and that stuff that wanted to do horrible things. But they all felt more personal than I, I would say, even when we get into No Time to Die, even which has both. Yeah, I, I I agree with that, and and it just it's it's one of those movies like I think the one of the bigger criticisms is the last act becoming like you know Home Alone or something I'm like that, cool but I think it, it actually works. Yeah, yeah. and and um, uh, Roger Deakins cinematography also set a new standard for what the series is, but also going outside of that, I mean, there are so many films now that have that kind of similar action. We saw it in Shang Chi, where you have the LD sort of 
image in the background shining in sort of a uh, a warehouse or sort of an unfinished building as two characters fight fight in like silhouettes and yeah. stuff like that which and and i think like skyfall felt like it took inspiration from like nolan movies and then i feel like you're seeing but nolan took inspiration, from, inspiration bond from bond films. and yeah. that's why i think it's interesting he's at universal universal just distributed the new bond movie i know it was a one picture deal just saying eventually guys it's got to happen eventually well, I, I have a feeling if the oppenheimer movie doesn't do well it, that would be the perfect time for the broccoli for family to come in and be like okay even if it does well fire I, film to it'll be really we'll get to that at the end of this podcast where we think everything will be going um uh yeah skyfall absolutely rips and adele's theme just is fantastic. i think the best song of oh yeah of, absolutely of yeah. absolutely then you get into specter which i had only seen once which was at that awful press screening we went to where it was like projected into the middle of the screen with bars on the side and the top and it was just horrible projection um i hadn't seen it since because i was so underwhelmed and i just felt like you know christoph waltz was completely wasted i felt like all the specter stuff just felt completely forced and un- unearned i felt like none of the action was all that interesting it felt overlong it felt like a chore to get through and i felt all of that watching it again where um i'm not looking forward because nevis had to go do something that night so I you're gonna was watch it again i have to because like <laughs> um because she watched up to skyfall with me and then she had a friend's birthday to go to um and i wanted to watch it before no time to die and i'm like i gotta watch it without you i'm sorry i'll watch it again with you like leading into going to see no time to die again with her um so i have to rewatch it which i'm not looking forward to um yeah just did not enjoy it at all and i think um you know it's still james bond and and i love christoph waltz i just wish he had more to do and just like when you get into the i was the author of your pain james and i did everything and it just feels like none of that makes any He's sense jigsaw, essentially like it, none of it makes any sense of like this personal vendetta that they kind of shoehorn in there because they were like adopted brothers and Ugh, you know, that and is the like that, that is the worst part that is yeah. that is the that is the con reveal of yeah that movie but i I don't disagree. I, I I think everything you're bringing up is valid, but I still think that there's enough in there in terms of looking at Spectre compared to a lot of the Brosnan more and even the lesser Connery movies and saying like, I think it's just a solid action movie. And I think like the Day of the Dead opening Oh uh, yeah, cold opening it, sequence it, is is amazing, and, and especially the single take and that single take and, is awesome. And we'll get yeah. to a single take in no time to die too. Yeah, and and I think there are moments there, and I think the biggest problem with this is that everybody kind of felt tired, and you're following up one of the best Bond movies, so it's almost like you know having the Rolling Stones play on stage, and then the follow up act is like you know nickelback or something like that it's just like it's a little underwhelming in terms of like who you have you know coming on afterwards but um unlike nickelback i think that this movie again there are moments in there that i actually kind of liked i I weirdly think that it would have been fine as a send-off for bond in in a way like just how they kind of end it and kind of move things forward um but again this does feel again like another filler so you know you get casino royale which is this really strong start 
then you get quantum of solace which is more of a bridge filler. to connect to the next one yeah and filler and, and then you get, you get skyfall. skyfall which is another great movie and then you get specter which is another bridge and to your point i do think that the specter stuff is forced because that's also adhering to the mythology of the character and the storyline <laughs> and what's been presented before in both the books and in and, the films yeah and, and blofeld himself who again i don't mind blofeld like blofeld as a character that's kind of working behind the scenes as a puppet master is is perfectly suited christoph waltz you know is literally well perfect cast, casting but, but it just for some reason is disappointing because either the the performance isn't working or the writing isn't on par maybe tarantino should have come in and did like a you know uh uh uncredited rewrite on some of his lines just kind of polish stuff that. yeah 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 because th- there's there's some stuff in there that i actually really do like like there's th- this great train sequence with dave batista's sort of henchman character that kind of reminds me is like if david lean had directed a bond movie and then like all of a sudden you know you 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 get these kind of again modern action takes and sequences and i think all Mm -hmm. that is is really fun um but yeah i i don't hate it i just think it's mostly kind of uh minor at best Mm -hmm. um but again there's so many horrible bond movies that i will watch specter any day of the week Fair. over octopus i can't wait to or yeah. <laughs> die another <laughs> day or i can't uh, wait to go back because i i'm going to go back and watch all of the older bonds in reverse chronological order but not backwards i'm going to do each bond in reverse chronological yeah. order good so luck with it. moonraker because um, that movie is so hard to get through it is i, so I can't tedious. wait and, and i know i'm saying that because i look like drax uh sure. the main villain from you can look him up as you're as I we're will, talking yeah. if you want to um uh michael uh lonsdale's uh villain he he's one of those guys where it's like again another really great actor um all <laughs> funnily enough daniel craig hugo uh, drax yeah yeah hugo drax uh uh Daniel Craig, Michael Lonsdale, and uh, Matthew Almarack all appeared in Munich, which I think is kind of funny. Oh, that is funny. Um, and with Spectre, wasn't it like Quantum originally was going to be their version of Spectre, but then they didn't have the rights to Spectre yes. or Blofeld until Yeah, Spectre. it was like the Scrolls, basically. Like, Spectre yeah. was their version of the Scrolls, where where they, like they, they were waiting for got the rights back, and yeah. then they were like, oh, now we can use Spectre. Let's yeah, now we're going to retcon it. Go. It's not Quantum anymore. It's yeah. Spectre. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, not great. Uh, okay, let's get into No Time to Die. I'm going to actually put a time code down, Eric, for our first time ever. So if people uh, listening, um, or they'll get on the YouTube and on the podcast description that they can go to 38 minutes just to listen to our No Time to Die review. Um, so let's get into No Time to Die. Uh, I know we said we're not going to do maybe like a traditional plot synopsis. We kind of gave that to you. It's the last you know, of the Daniel Craig Bond movies, you know, it takes place, you know, uh, soon after the events of Spectre. Um, You have some returning characters there like Leia Seydoux and, and, you know, obviously his whole team at MI6. Um, And essentially, I don't know how you want to approach this. Should we give like a brief synopsis or should we just kind of get into our thoughts? Well, essentially this, what this is doing is it's ending the, the the Craig era, but also trying to retcon some of um, the misfires of Spectre and introducing a new villain played by Rami Malek, who is using his own teeth this time around, which is nice. Um, And the idea is that you have this megalomaniac 
um, wanting to take over the world and using uh, bio-warfare uh, as his sort of uh, main uh, advantage uh, against MI6. And this brings Daniel Craig's now-retired uh, 007, or j now just James Bond or Commander Bond, um, back into the fold. And as he... Um, you know, at the beginning of this movie, again, this is this is all in the trailer, um, you know, is spending his retirement uh, peacefully in the south of Italy with Leia Seydoux's uh, Madeline Swan. Um, but we learned that there are secrets that have not been shared between the two that might tear them <laughs> apart. And this story is as much kind of a relationship drama as it is a globe-trotting action film uh mixed with um a little bit of horror which i was actually pleasantly surprised with in the one of opening, two i was like opening prologues because yeah. because this movie is nearly three hours long and there's this weird meta moment that's also referencing one of the other bond movies but also is referencing the length of this film where they're driving, you know, to this small uh, town in South Italy. And they basically are like, okay, we can, we can take, we can take our time getting there because getting to the opening credits. <laughs> yeah. We literally have all the time in the world. And, 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 and with that, it's almost like it's winking at the, you know, the audience, especially critics that know that this movie is almost three hours. And you think, Oh God, this is, this is this, trip going to be like in real time um and and luckily it kind of begins to move at a pace that is appropriate for a very somber addition to the franchise which it's trying to balance both the fun and excitement of the franchise as a whole of what you've come to expect from a bond movie but it's also trying to mix that with a certain amount of pathos when it comes to, you know, sending off Daniel Craig's bond with a perfect swan song. Um, and I think I that like with that, that it, it works sometimes better than others. I think when it's most sort of alive and vigorous is the sequence in Cuba with uh, Ana de Armas. Not enough Ana de Armas in this. She who's is amazing. fantastic. She, she adds this spark that kind of, like, you almost wish that she was either in Casino Royale or Spectre or something like that. And to yeah. be introduced so late into the yeah. franchise, it's kind of like, it's disappointing. But at the same time, you realize, okay, well, you know, Craig really liked working with her and, and, and Knives Out and thought she would be perfect for the role and she is amazing in it. And again, I think what that sequence and that character does is it basically deconstructs and reevaluates what bond the woman. other bond woman yeah. is supposed to be. Because again, the first bond woman is usually the tragic figure. We saw that with, you know, Gemma Arterton and, and the Craig. Yeah. Basically world. every, every Craig movie so far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this doesn't do that. And, and, and again, I think that that's saying something with, how the material is treated with both Fukunaga and, and, and uh, uh, Phoebe uh, Waller bridge. Like those two are bringing something more than just what Wade and, and, and uh, Purvis are to the script, mm -hmm. um, which again, you know, people have tinkered with the, the writing before, but those two guys Wade and, and, 
and Purvis have been written... there for a while, right? Yeah, they yeah. they kind of lay the blueprint of since the, the Brosnan era or what? Haven't they yeah. been around? Like I think. Um, yeah, I'll just piggyback off you and, and I love this movie. Um, I had an absolute blast with it. I totally understand what you're saying about it being kind of, you know, somber or bleak or, or, but I don't know. I just felt like what I was saying earlier in the show when we were talking about our history, like I just felt like this was the most James Bond, the Daniel Craig movies have been. And I just feel like I loved that they did their own thing throughout this so far where it started off as this gritty new reboot as bond skyfall introduced some of those other elements but still felt you know grounded but had some gadgetry and cue and and stuff like that and then this movie i feel like takes all of that from those four movies the good and the bad and kind of has it all come to this perfect kind of climax and um whether it's the new additions like uh, Lashana Lynch as the new 007, I thought she kicked ass. Ana de Armas, I thought was fantastic. Uh, Rami Malik, um, I thought was used sparingly, but was those less is more. Ta- yeah, and I think that's good. Like I, I like him in Mr. Robot. I hated Bohemian Rhapsody, obviously, and I like he has this unsettling kind of like Mr. Burns kind of nature to him, like in oh, yeah. everything. And I feel like it, it just. But he can that, be weirdly warm. Like I look at something like Short Term Twelve, sure, yes, where you're right. he is very likable and charming, and even weirdly in The Master, where like as a supporting actor, he can be that. He, he's good. Mm-hmm. I just think that that Bohemian Rhapsody is the film really that kind, of, kind of yeah yeah. It's 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 almost like yeah, you won the Oscar. It's like the Monkey Paw kind of thing, but you won it for this, and mm-hmm. you know a lot of people now hate you because of it because it's a terrible film and a terrible performance. Absolutely, but this movie starts and and with those that cold open. Um, I think from the minute. I, just with the cinematography and how that scene is set up and it is has this kind of horror vibe to it and I think the creepy mask works and just his unsettling nature and this whole kind of prologue to the prologue of the movie um, I was in from minute one where I was just like I love this already and then you kind of get this unsettling opening where you're like where is this going um, I, again the every everyone's connected to everyone thing maybe is like you got a suspension of disbelief it's a james bond movie and as well also on, when like, it comes to um sort of age i think that, that, that there's also, something there with rami malik's Saffin where yeah you have to kind of like maybe le- sort of basically suspend i was thinking about there. it more though because he's 40 and like if that took place say 20 some years ago he could be in his late teens or his early 20s during that sequence and sure and, but he know, he, he the bit of him we do see sure. doesn't look i agree young. i agree um i agree with that but from minute one i was into this movie and i feel like it balances that like super serious grittiness of the daniel craig bonds with the silly james bond stuff so well and i feel like at two hours and 45 minutes this flew by to me i never felt the length i loved each action sequence right from that first one in in italy um up until you know the cuba se- uh section you were mentioning up until there's a thing that feels ripped out of golden eye 64 at this russian missile silo kind of thing that i was just like this all the gadgetry like there's some stuff that's just absolutely ridiculous but the way that they make it work in this world um 
I just like there's a cybernetic eye in this movie and like just weird James Bond. <gasps> I want Bond somebody to create an online that... name called uh, uh, Blofeld's uh, Unlocking Blofeld's Glass Eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you know, like, like you know, there was Nuke the Fridge for Indiana Jones and in the, sure. the Crystal Skull. Yeah, and and like I just I had I know it's like you said very somber, but I weirdly just had so much fun with this movie, and I think it's just because. I, I I can I like dark movies too and and dark subject matter and and, and as stuff long as like it that, fits like, for for the context of the character yeah. I think because of that Batman Begins era of reboots we got everything had to be in that tone where it yeah. didn't need to be but I think this movie has elements of fun and I think each action sequence was thrilling I think the cinematography that um that Fukunaga and um Linus Sangren um uh, Oscar shoot, winner for like, La La Land yeah like I just feel like he uses a lot of like it seems like there's a lot of random like neon or soft lighting in the background that even in places that it doesn't make any sense, but it just makes it look cool. And I was just all for that. And then um, I think, you know, Fukunaga, I think, is an excellent filmmaker. And I think you see that throughout the movie of just how exciting the action sequences are. There's an incredible single take sequence on a stairwell that I just absolutely uh, loved. And, uh, you know, even seeing people like, you know, uh, Jeffrey Wright pop back up at, as Felix Leiter, I, I thought is great. Um, the Billy Magnuson, Logan Ash stuff. Um, I, I'm hit or miss on. Uh, I actually I, like, I like him. him as an actor, but I, I have to, and 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 I'll give credit. Um, Stefan Ellison, a, a film critic friend of ours, brought up something that I thought was kind of interesting when I was talking to him about it. Is that he's almost cast in a meta kind of way, where he's also this blonde, blue-eyed, but American working for the State Department. Fair, yeah, and it's almost like this meta joke of what like a lot of people thought. Daniel Craig was going to was be. going to be okay yeah and and I kind of feel that that's part of the joke but then again like you also see you know lighter in in these films with at least with quantum and, and this always having to be partnered up with like someone that's kind of questionable you know mm -hmm. David Harbour in quantum yeah, of solace quantum, is you know almost doing yeah. a weird like Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah kind a of little impression, bit. I know? like that and then I just uh you know we talked about Bond growing up with you know the character of bond growing up throughout these movies, even though he was an older man as this started, but I mean, the character kind of building on itself and, and character growth that I feel like his relationship with the new double O who is, uh, Nomi, who's Lashana Lynch's character that I just, I like who's also in of, captain Marvel. Yeah. I, I loved their back and forth and I kind of liked that, you know, antagonistic relationship throughout, but then how that kind of grows throughout the movie as well. Um, I'm kind of rambling on a bit because I just, I really loved the movie, but, but, uh, and I'm a little bit all over the place, but I just, well, that was... relationship I think is important to kind of look at the metaphor between working with other um, governments as well, because another yeah. thing that's in this is that, you know, you have Felix Leiter's CIA and uh, you know, Ray MI6, Fiennes, yeah. MI6 not working together on something that affects them both. And obviously you need to collaborate in order to work. And that, happens so much not even just on an international level but even like any anywhere you know really. local or federal whether it be government whether it be police and you businesses know, even yeah. collaboration you know instead of confrontation and and trying to you know up the other one and, and trying to be the better person um the, that's there the one thing with nomi and bond that i'm a little bit mixed of is how the 007 sort of 
monarch is ultimately defined as the film goes on and sort of like the back and forth of whether does it actually mean anything or not um because i kind of feel that they try to have both kind of kind of both ways with that where it's like it really doesn't mean anything but it kind of does but it it doesn't but it kind of does in the same way that like you know um you look at like an athlete in in a certain sport where like you know if if they're uh, a name like sometimes they retire they retire their their number sometimes right yeah 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 they do yeah you'd think i think that's what there's even a joke in the movie right you think that she even says to him like you you thought they'd retire it right yeah and then um yeah i, I agree with you there and then the way that that's kind of handled like i was thinking to myself in the movie i'm like oh i i like how you know his growth and how they're handling this and then they kind of you know backtrack on that a little bit and like um which I, I was like, ah, I kind of wish they just committed, you know, to that. But uh, I, I loved their back and forth. And, and I do think that 007 number does mean something to James Bond, right? And I think he's the one who brought, like, I don't know whether it was like someone before him also had 007. And then that's like the moniker for their best agent or something like that. Or if it was James Bond made it like that thing. So I kind of don't mind that but i i totally understand what you're saying there yeah and also even just looking at it from the point of view of a young woman of color sort of taking over from you know the the older generation of uh white male and and looking at the idea of even ageism in an interesting kind of way and sort of redundancy of whether or not you know you still matter when you're retired or you still have value um to uh, the people that you worked with for, for the longest time. Um, the other thing I was a little bit disappointed with is that um, I feel that both um, Ben Wishaw and Naomi Harris are underutilized a little bit, especially Naomi Harris, who's so yeah. good in Skyfall. And you look at that one scene where, you know, she shaves him. And I think it's that saying a lot in terms of how yeah. the Bond movie has grown, where it can be still sensual and sexy but also you know it doesn't have to be completely and utterly you know misogynistic, uh, misogynistic at the same <laughs> yeah. time um yeah. and it's just so weird because you have this oscar nominated actor for moonlight who since then has been getting all these like really kind of minor supporting roles and i'm also really nervous to watch venom let there be carnage because she's in that as well as shriek and um you know i just yeah, I just I I kind of hope that she finds something that's, you know, suited of her talents and it just kind of feels like a little bit of a waste there. Um, right. Where like I feel everybody else for the most part is calibrated and used in a way that is appropriate for the material and again, less is more when it comes to Robbie Malik and especially, you know, his affectation and how he kind of always talks about you know flowers specifically and poisons and things like that and yeah he's kind of playing into the classic bond mustache tropes. twirling kind of bond villain which i kind of yeah. like though like <laughs> no no i do too and i mean yeah. the only thing that would that would kind of like elevate that even further or, or commit to that is if they dubbed him because in a lot of the early bond movies the connery ones you had international actors that didn't speak a word of english whether they be german swedish um you know asian what they would do is they would dub their voice in uh post-production with an english actor 
Really? And so it's re- it's really distracting when you watch, you know, uh, like really remember that Goldfinger yeah. specifically or um, Thunderball, where like yeah. the main villains, their voices are are dubbed, and mm-hmm. it almost reminds you of like you know an Italian spaghetti western. Yeah, you know? and I think that just yeah to me goes back to you know I think this movie just has flourishes of like classic Bond stuff, but modernized and like that whether it's Rami Malek's villain of being like a mixture of what we were talking about of having a personal vendetta on people in the movie but then also twisting that and subverting your expectations on who he has a personal vendetta against but then having those classic kind of bond elements of that mustache twirling secret lair kind of i'm going to take over the world kind of thing which we haven't necessarily i think seen in these craig bond movies and that's why i feel like it feels like more of a you know classic bond elements and like there's so many uh, like different gadgets like i already mentioned the bionic eye and you know the car comes back that aston martin the old 60s aston martin and you you kind of have more and more gadgets the one-liners like there are way more one-liners in this movie than any of the other kind of craig bond movies as well which feels very james bond to me and it just feels like oh he he's bond now and like he always was but like this to me i just i was surprised at how those elements worked because i feel like on paper if you would have told me like some of that stuff in this version of bond i'm like i don't know like less is more with that kind of stuff and i feel like this movie like unabashedly is just like no we're going to embrace that and it's still going to be super serious and dark but we're going to have ridiculous one-liners we're going to have a ridiculous russian missile silo lair we're going to have insane action and 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 it's going to be funny and at times and I laughed more in this than I have in any of the other uh, Craig Bond movies. And I, I felt like that was refreshing a little bit um, and it didn't feel out of place for me. Like, right. So yeah. you had you really did have a bit of a, a an adrenaline rush while watching yeah. this where I feel that my expectations were a little bit tempered due to the the sobering quality of what was unfolding and and yeah. i feel like the last time i had the feeling that you are describing is watching mission impossible fallout where yeah that's no, another I, I thing agree. that we need to talk about i think is how a lot of these sort of spy films or action thrillers or action adventures are always kind of weirdly competing with They're each other one up each other yeah yeah and and you see that with the mission impossible movies with the fast and furious films now and with the bond movies where this doesn't necessarily feel like okay we we don't need to have a scene like the bathroom sequence in you know fallout you know we we have good stuff in there like there's a fun little moment with with magnets again uh you know going back to uh breaking bad i think that's kind of yeah. where that started um it just feels like it's there to tell the story first and foremost, instead of like trying to sort of create, you know, death defying stunts that will wow the audience, even though they're there and they're well integrated into the story, you know, you, you don't necessarily think that that's like the, you know, the first kind of main thing that you take away from this bond movie where a lot of the mission impossible films specifically and, Again, with the more I think those are Fast based Furious more around films. set pieces. Yeah. And just Tom Cruise is, being ridiculous yeah. as a human being and putting himself right. out there where, you know, Daniel Craig has, I think, a little more sense to him and sort of like, you know, I, I'll let somebody else do that. But, but everything in this kind of like, there's, there's not like one major set piece that I would say is like, 
oh, you know, like that's going to be the defining yeah. thing necessarily. I'd agree with that. Yeah. You, you mentioned sort of the 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 one take sort of stairwell sequence, which is which is good. It's very and, but well you done. almost you don't realize it until it's like halfway through, and it's then you subtle. go, oh shit, okay, I understand what he's doing here. And I mean, he did it in True Detective, and we saw a good one in 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 Spectre, which is the best part of that movie. Um, but this one, yeah, there's a sequence in a stairwell where Bond has to go to the bottom to the top of this kind of a missile silo and halfway through you go oh fuck this has been one take so far and you're like i mean it was really competing against uh angel has fallen when jared butler has to run (laughs) up the the stairwell i mean it's kind of similar to that scene i'm not gonna lie but this is done much more elegantly and and better and just seeing bond whip ass like that like is just so cool man like it's just and it just this movie reminded me why i i love this franchise and this character and and i i think and they can be these kind of silly, ridiculous, like kind of things mixed with these great character beats. And like, and that's where this franchise has evolved to. And I think they've learned from those other movies, whether it's the MCU or the mission impossible movies and, and kind of modernized bond for this time of franchise blockbuster filmmaking we're in. Um, and then kind of trying to elevate that a little bit. And I think they did just like a, a really, really excellent job. And there's just so much more here that I wish we could talk about, but I really don't want to spoil. Like there, I think there are some genuine surprises throughout this movie. And I think that's why they're really hammering down that no time for spoilers hashtag. And, um, more so than any other bond movie, I think that I've seen in recent, like again, out of the Craig movies at least. And, um, Man, I just think this movie whips, man. Like, I think it's just, it it's so, I just had that adrenaline rush throughout the whole thing where I never looked at my watch. I never, like when I went to the bathroom halfway through, I only went once in a three hour movie. So I think that's also telling um, the Matt bathroom. And you had a coffee that day, a, a cof- bottle two of coffees, water. a bottle of water, and I had a cherry Coke during the movie. And I only, I only went once because I think my mind was so focused on the movie that even when I went to the bathroom, which is one of the quieter moments and you know, the middle of the movie has quite a bit of exposition. I will say that as well. Like it kind of slows down a little bit. i never really felt the length cause I was interested in what was happening. Um, and then going back into Malik's villain, like I don't, I'm thinking about it more. I'm like, I don't necessarily understand his end game <laughs> um, or like his to Like I understand some of his motivations, but maybe I think it's not just to be, I think you just have to look at it at the point of view. He wants to be in complete control of the world, I right? Guess. Like he talks about being this sort of tidy um, terrorist type where, <laughs> yeah. you know, the character is literally, you know, wanting to take over the world or gain control over, you know, with this use of, of biotechnology. So, you know, with that, you, you just kind of have to go with like, Oh, okay. This is your classic sort of bond villain, bond villain, just wanting to take over the world at this point. You know, like there is a personal connection that I think works that elevates that a little bit, uh, rather than just being someone who wants to take over the world. And I think there's some cool stuff um, there, but it's very cultish um, too. A lot of the time he wears a, um, uh, like a blue robe. robe. Yeah. Yeah. Like a Jedi robe kind of thing. And like, I, I liked his mask. I thought that was cool as hell. That has a very um, Jallo esque kind of quality to it as well. Um, thinking about like just more recently with, you know, last night in Soho and even yeah. um, malignant malignant. God bless malignant um gabriel would be a great bond villain yeah i think so as well um but yeah i I agree with you that not maybe a single action sequence stands out but i was 
entertained with each one like i i don't necessarily will pinpoint one certain specific one maybe then the staircase sequence but even then that's more so because of the filmmaking and the cinematography in that scene rather than like you know he's just shooting bad guys right like and uh barry hertz tweeted at me being like that was the the most golden eye 64 moment i i noticed in that whole thing and i'm like hell yeah like that's what golden eye was running up a, a very industrial russian missile silo just shooting everyone and them falling down the in stairs fact, like, and like yeah like i just remember the sound effects and like you get these polygonal guys just falling down and like that just feels like that in like you know real life and um i think that's just why i uh, liked it and those silly one-liners and it just gets more and more ridiculous but then also very poignant and uh, just such a great end for bond and it's everything we started this podcast where where we we saw this character have grow throughout these five movies and the character grow and the franchise grow and i thought it was a perfect end to the craig bond movies and i can't wait to see where the franchise goes next because it's going to be really interesting because i i think you said it eric when we were talking like you I think we both agree that Craig probably is the best bond and like to follow this up is going to be really tough and I'll be really interested to see kind of the approach that they take. Cause I could think that there are a bunch of different ways that they, uh, that they could move forward. Yeah. I think even more so than just like casting the next James Bond, I think one of the most interesting questions to kind of think about when it comes to the next era of bond is, are they going to do, a semi reboot are they going to keep instead with what they've built already um you know are they going to bring uh no new me back or are they going or to ray fines or fines i mean they kind of again like there are photos there there are two portraits of judy dench and bernard lee yeah uh, in a hallway in an mi6 and you're thinking to yourself okay well if they're establishing this continuity even you know with with Brosnan's era of bond and with Judy Dench, obviously, but like, it almost feels like you've built so much already. Why tear it all down? You know, it's and start again, or like, where do you start if you start from the beginning? Cause mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to just tell the same story again where, you know, it's the character getting, you know, the, the, the license to kill and then going from there. Like, you, you know, do you start uh, with somebody else getting the mantle? Do you, do you keep, you know lynch's character do you know you look at the kind of have to that's like i i feel like we've evolved and like people are expecting like the bond style is is refreshing kind of if you think of it one way because everything is so continuity heavy and shared universes and and things like that that like sometimes one-off stories um can just be kind of refreshing where you don't like look at star Wars visions that we reviewed last week and stuff like that. Like that or was Falcon really and the Winter soldier. Yeah. That felt like refreshing to me when it comes to, um, you know, the star Wars universe of being just one-off stories that don't necessarily have to be tied to continuity. And I think that could be refreshing and you could even bring back people like, you know, um, Naomi Harris and, 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 and uh, Ray Fiennes and Ben Wyshaw said, I think he was contracted for three movies and that he thinks that this is probably it for him. Like I was just reading that. Um, so maybe you get a new cue. Cause I know that's a thing as well. So maybe Ray Fiennes continues, maybe Naomi Harris continues, and then you kind of bring in new people around them and just have, I could see them doing a one-off Bond movie next 
to be honest. Yeah, like, and that uh, might attract somebody like a Christopher Nolan or a bigger yeah. filmmaker who doesn't have the obligation of, you know, starting a new franchise or being tied to it. And so if they're doing their own thing and being like, okay, this is already a, a an established universe and an established bond and it's just going to be one and done – you could get something on that level of, again, you know, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but with a better actor in in the lead. And that might be something that's enticing. But then again, you know, if, if it's successful, people do want more. So I'm sure that, like, that's going to be something where, you know, certain filmmakers, certain studios are going to be mindful of of that on both ends. Because, you know, like, as, as much as, like, you think, like, okay... You know, Darren Aronofsky was going to direct Batman Year One in the past, and his movie was going to be what apparently was very close to what, you know, Todd Fee- Fee- Phillips' Joker was, right? And then you look at, you know, him wanting, Darren Aronofsky also wanting to do the Wolverine, but the reason why he left both projects, one, because he's picky, but two, because he just wanted to do one film, and that was it. He didn't want to necessarily have the work in or have yeah or have his own work be continued by somebody else just you know cut it at the end of the movie and leave it at that so if you do a one-off and it is really successful there is that temptation on the studio side of thing to continue it so there is that question where i do agree with you i think a one-off would probably be the best way to go especially i mean most of the bond the ian fleming stories have been adapted there's one that hasn't which is kind of like um bond going against the drug cartel um but other than that most of them even the short stories have been adapted into films so um you know it, it depends i think on the story on the filmmaker that you you hire and yes you know whether or not you want to hire an actor to play bond to continue the franchise or do you know the one-off thing where you know, that could also be a problem where it's like you have like seven bonds in like, you know, 20 years or something yeah, like that, yeah, you know, like, yeah. so all these things are very interesting to kind of contemplate. Yeah. Um, and one thing I do want to touch on, too, like I do really like Leia Seydoux, um as well. And I feel like something we talked about of like, you know, continuing bond having a relationship. And I feel like as much as I didn't like Spectre and, you know, I felt like their relationship was fine in that movie. Like, I do think that they, you know, develop it. And I, I, I bought into the opening of the movie and I bought into their relationship as the movie goes on. And um, I kind of, cause again, so much we talked about Vesper and, and, you know, her presence throughout the whole thing and that bond being that bonds, true love or whatever. But then I feel like, you know, that kind of puts Madeline Swan kind of as this secondary figure, but I feel like they do a good job with the opening and throughout this movie of, of me buying into, you know, them as a couple in their love where I didn't get that inspector. Yeah. Much. Spectre. It almost feels like, Oh, I guess you're the only, you're, you're, you're who's left, <laughs> you know, like it almost yeah. feels like it's like, okay, well it's just us now. So I guess this is where right. we'll just pair up with, you know? Yeah, and I, her connection to Mr. White, uh, I, I I forgot about in in Quantum, and so I like that there was that thread throughout. And I you feel mean like, Spectre because um, it's not because sorry Spectre, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, my bad. Thank you. Um, but then I felt like like I just mentioned, like I I liked 
I bought into that relationship in this movie where I didn't buy into it inspector for those reasons that you just kind of said. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just kind of feels like it, they're forced together because of, you know, the, the means of the script and where it ends and who's left, you know, with, yeah. with those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Overall, I, I loved the movie. I can't wait to watch it again. Um, I felt reinvigorated and uh, had that adrenaline rush throughout the whole movie. And, I can't wait to see it in IMAX because the, again, we saw it at the same screen. We saw Shang-Chi and the projection uh, a little dim. I will say sound was good. Oh, uh, that's, I one, the movie uh, looked, that's one. I thing. thought the movie it plays great. with sound in an interesting way. Yes. Which I um, haven't really seen in the bond movies. Of late, yeah. And, but. and I felt that the screening that we were at the sound system wasn't working fully. And there's a great sequence that does take place in Cuba where it uses um sort of these devices where you know it's common in spy craft yeah. where you know yeah, these yeah. little chips where people are talking to each other but the way that it sort of uses that the in, sound design is really interesting yeah. yeah and it's like almost like a diegetic sound where you're hearing it like they would hear in their ear it almost sounds um, like it almost like when you first start hearing it you, you like you do see you know uh anadarmus's character put the, the 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 sound piece in in his ear but it yeah. almost sounds like they're having like this telecommunication like in their minds sure, like yeah. because you don't necessarily see them talking first you just because they the kind of yeah because they cut and whoever you're seeing on screen you're hearing the other person through their earpiece and, yeah. and fukunaga did a sound design thing with his team where and there's also a moment where bond uh, where there's an explosive and he goes kind of deaf for a moment and you get that kind of which we've seen in tons the of residual before, right shock the to, yeah the ringing and and like you can't really hear what's going on and I, I liked that stuff and i thought the sound design was quite excellent in the movie i just wish yeah that cinema one at scotiabank is like the screen is big which is nice and we were sitting further back than we normally would um because it was reserved seating um not to be like uh, i'm like whatever but uh the screen was a little <laughs> dim and the sound is fine in that theater but i would love to go see this on the scotiabank imax or uh, just IMAX, even a LIMAX theater, like the landmark LIMAX, like because it should have that expanded aspect ratio and stuff as well. But um, I think it looks great in 239. And, and I think the cinematography um, does look really, really good. It has this, like I said, like the lighting in the movie I really liked. Like he just throws in a lot of backlighting of this like uh, kind of, uh, you know, not neon quite, but you know what? The, it has like, a uh, texture to it. It's yeah. very, it's very warm and layered and, and has this granular quality that I yeah. think is quite nice, even though again, it's maybe not as showy as some of the Roger Deacon stuff. Agreed. Um, yeah. It, it does have this again, quality to it that feels um, timeless where like yeah. it, it, it feels like an old fashioned kind of 60s, 70s film. And lastly, we didn't touch on Hans Zimmer's score, I think is awesome as well. Obviously, like Hans Zimmer rules, but like, and he's the guy you bring on for every major franchise and stuff like that. But hearing a Hans Zimmer uh, Bond score, um, uh, I thought was excellent. And um, yeah, it sounds different than, you know, his Nolan stuff or anything he's been. It's not as bombastic. Yeah, it's not as bombastic and it does feel very classic Bond. and, And they do this thing that they did in. Uh, a lot of these Craig movies where they use the theme in the score. So it's almost like the love theme in a lot of these movies. They use like the opening credit song as a piece of score throughout the movies. And they uh, do that in this as well. And I just thought his score was great. I can't wait to throw it on again. And um, 
you know, Zimmer doing Bond is is awesome. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, it's 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 weirdly, again, a, a more subdued score to kind of pair with a movie that is a little bit more somber in its approach compared to I think the it, last that will make it divisive, outings. I think, a yeah. little bit like and, I, and I, I think the plot might as well, just given where we are uh, right now, um, at, you know, with the pandemic and just yeah i agree maybe some it's of a that little, might be, it makes it more unsettling that's for sure yeah but you know like some people expecting to find you know escapist entertainment and going to see that and then like oh well now i'm thinking about you know disease again and and what we've yeah. gone through in the last two years yeah I, to- I totally agree with that and i think that's a it's I guess not really the movie's fault, but it's just like bad timing of like you, you, we saw Falcon and the winter soldier you brought up already. Like they, there was that rumor that they changed their plot line because they had a similar, like, you know, uh virus taking over the, the earth kind of thing where, you know, they committed to it in this movie. And I guess because we're, we're in, you know, we're in a good enough place to release this movie worldwide that they feel like, okay, that's not going to be so off putting, but it is a little bit as you're watching it. Um, being like ooh, he like it just well, especially in weird. one scene when you see the effect of it and yeah it's, it's gruesome at times and violent yeah. and i think that's something that continues over the like i'm always shocked at the amount of violence they get away with whether it's like arm snapping or like the axe through the foot and quantum or oh yeah that some is of good the, some of the stuff in this that's just like it's hella violent at times or the like, uh, really... the knotted rope there's an F-bomb the as well. Is that the yes. have they dropped an F-bomb in a, a Bond movie before or no? I'm sure they have because most all films are allowed to have one and it's, it's again it's it's a very movie, yeah. subtle F-bomb from Ray Fine. It's great. It's great. Which which also works in sort of the bureaucracy of of what, you know, MI6 is is sort of working in. Uh yeah. but yeah, that that uh Mads Mikkelsen torture scene in Casino Royale is is brutal. brutal. It's brutal. I know you don't really necessarily like see anything. I think that's what all of these movies it's the do sound, such a great man. job. It's the, the sound, sound design and, and like Craig's just reaction like, is so yeah, oh God, realistic. Yeah, and um I think this movie, it, like all of these movies, even though I had fun with some of the action and the gadgets and stuff in this movie, they're all very brutal and violent. And um, I think that's what defines this era of Bond as well, which kind of, like I said, full circle blends the old with the new. And I think that's why I uh, really love this movie. And uh, we didn't touch on one other character that I don't know if you want to talk about at all, but or if we should just leave it. Like, I know they're in the trailer David and stuff like that. Well, no. But uh, we can talk about that, too. But well, he, he, um, I'll just say quickly with him, I was a little bit nervous that he was going to become Boris. Dude, luckily, I thought the I, same thing. I like him way more. I, I like Alan Cumming. I just don't like Alan Cumming as as Boris. But I was thinking, oh, no, this is going to be the Boris of this movie. And luckily, again, used sparingly. And I do like that actor quite a bit. He was in uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and um, really solid Swedish actor. So, yeah, I like him. Um but the bi- the big one that like I think he's better in this movie than uh, he was used in another one. But oh, you're talking anyways. about Waltz? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like, well, I, I mean, I, he's I said in the when... trailer. We know that yeah. he's in the movie, and I think Hannibal Lecter basically. He's is. more menacing in this than he was in any of Spectre, and I I like him in this movie, and I feel like that's Waltz actually being that you know perfect for that character in this movie, where I didn't necessarily see that inspector and i i like the sequence with him in this like it is hannibal lecter but like i i just i believed him this time where he's just like i'm like 
I just want to cause you pain more than I did in in Inspector because I believed it this time because he has a it feels like he actually has a personal vendetta now where before it just felt kind of weak. Yeah, and I think there's also just something kind of chilling about somebody that is completely contained and you think that like, you know, they're they're no threat to you, but yet they still are in some and way. And I love I that they that don't that even works. explain how or anything of how he was menacing or threatening in this movie. Like there's a I cool want to know how much spending goes into that prison because oh, the, God, the, yeah. the contraption, the 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 cell that they have him in that they bring him to you know talk to it's bond like eight doors to get there and there's this and cool, it's all automatic like, yeah. and it's just like how much money did they spend on this prison um yeah. but then again i think there's something with that sequence as well that maybe the the direction and sort of how certain things play out is very telegraphed sure i'll say that. that it just no, kind of feels like you kind of know where that's i going. get i knew but exactly i like i like happening. i like the moment between the two and i even love when uh when lynch's character when when madeline's in the room or like when they've kind of all met up again and Mad- and lynch is just like well that was awkward <laughs> yeah no it's great um the movie's great man i i love it can't wait to watch it again i love these craig bond movies like the only one even Spectre, as much as I, I was shitting on it, like I still like I'll watch it again with Nevis and like it's not an awful movie. It's just I it's was kind of like the, the Star it. Wars prequels, yeah. right? Where even though Spectre's better than the Star Wars prequels, it's like they're they're bad, but you'll still watch them because they're a part of the the world, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's why I'll gladly watch it again with Nevis. And and I think this movie does a good job at kind of building on Spectre, even though Spectre wasn't so great. So uh, yeah, I, I love this movie. Can't wait to talk about it more. One of my favorites of the year, one of my favorite Bond movies. Uh, I The one thing we haven't touched on, I like a ranking of the Bond movies. Like I still think, like I've been thinking about it a lot since yesterday and I can't stop thinking about the movie, but I think I just like Skyfall as a whole better when like just, you know, I'm still debating. It's like close for me, but I still think that, you know, I, I like, I think Skyfall just edges this out. And I think I like this a tiny bit more than Casino Royale, but those three movies I think are so fucking good. Um, and then it's like leaps and bounds, like a gap between quantum and inspector in those three movies. And I feel like on any day of the week, depending on my mood and what kind of bond movie I want, um, those three, I think are just, fantastic bond movies so i think this i would place this slightly above casino slightly under skyfall but overall really love the movie a four and a half like i think it's it's great yeah i um think skyfall is uh my favorite of the five daniel craig bond movies i think it's also the second best bond movie in the 25 films um not including uh never say never um and i think that i just there's just something about casino royale where it's just like it's that perfect starting point that it's yeah, still and i get that. no time to die is still new so i'm kind of playing it safe by putting casino royale as number two Above it. Yeah. and and no time to die at three but then there is this kind of gap between specter and quantum of solace um but i still think my favorite bond movie as a whole is goldfinger and it's also my favorite bond song by uh, dame uh, shirley bassey um which um is like again just a great bond movie but in terms of daniel craig's filmography like it's I think he has surpassed Sean Connery as the best bond, which is really saying something. I totally agree. Um, 
I thank you all for listening or watching. Uh, I know this was a meaty review, but we wanted to cover uh, your dogs. They're loving the movie too. I think. Uh, yeah, I think that there's um, a probably a package or something that was delivered. <laughs> uh, Blofeld's at your front door, uh, Mr. Bigglesworth. <laughs> <laughs> when um, Mr. Bigglesworth gets angry, people die. <laughs> um, thank you for listening or watching. Uh, I love doing these big long reviews, talking about like a whole franchise. I hope you guys like it too. But if you um, if you skipped over it and just listened to the review, we appreciate that as well. Um, we have tons of other reviews on this channel, Untitled Movie Reviews. You can get it on podcast services everywhere or on YouTube on the Untitled Movies uh, podcast or YouTube channel. Um, we have our main show, Untitled uh, Movie Podcast, that you guys can check out, podcast services and on YouTube as well. We just did a big uh, TIFF wrap up, talked about Chris Pratt as Super Mario uh a ton house of, of stuff, mario so. yeah so god we saw the house of gucci trailer again uh if you want a one-stop shop for everything untitled uh go over to our letterbox is untitled underscore movies uh you can get links to all of our social channels our reviews everything over there that's probably the best spot for everything um as always my name is rorbeck matt rorbeck and you can get all of my you know, movie reviews and content around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. I will be returning to Kind of Funny to do a Star Wars Visions episodes four through six review today. So that should be up sometime today, Wednesday, September 29th. You guys can check that out. Um, but you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm invincible. Uh, you can <laughs> uh, you can find uh, more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at em6211. Did you think of that every time during Amazon's Invincible uh, animated series where every time someone would, you know, smash cut to the Invincible thing? I thought of no, weirdly. Time. No, not at all. I did. I did. I, I did. love GoldenEye. I love GoldenEye. <laughs> all right. Bye, everybody.